I just want to start off kind of asking how you guys met. You know, I was kind of reading the story you told about like being in a college band together. Um, and I think you you share some heritage. So, you know, just tell me that story. Yeah. So uh, it was 2013. Um, we met at marching band camp <laughs> for university. Ian is a year older than I am. So I was a freshman. He was going into sophomore year. And uh, yeah, we were just, we both played French horn. So marching man's the mellophone. And uh, so I don't even know how it came up, but we were talking about like making me like, I, they were like, I guess they asked me, what do you like to do? And I was like, oh, I like to make music. And Ian goes, oh, I make beats too. And like takes his phone and like shows me a beat he made off of Cubase, a hip hop beat. And I was like, yeah, man, that's cool. And I was like, oh, have you ever heard of Ableton? He was like, no, no. I was like, oh, I'm going to show you the way. And then I think like after that, the rest is uh, history <laughs> from there on out. That's great. Yeah. You guys have kind of talked about Ableton a lot and just a bit of the obsession with it. I'm just wondering, like, once you spend years on this program, it's so second nature, but obviously it has a pretty high floor to getting in. Um, you know, is there any advice that you kind of give to somebody who's learning? And then are there any pieces of hardware or plugins that you guys find you use all the time? Um, I think that the only, just to take it a step at a time, uh, the question, I think that the only real uh, high ceiling floor that people don't really understand about Ableton is that there are two ways to use it. Um, and some people choose to combine those two ways, um, speaking specifically about the arrangement in the session view, um, uh, live view. Uh, I can't, actually can't remember the, their official names, but there's basically when you hit tab on the keyboard, you flip between the mixer and what looks like a bunch of cells and the arrangement view, which is your traditional, you know, DAW layout, where you might uh, typically build a track. I, there are a handful of, you know, of people out there that will build their tracks, um, in the uh, in the live view and just record it out into the arrangement view. You can totally do that. We, you know, honestly, I don't really use the uh, the uh, that live view ever unless it's just to look at the mixer. Um, but uh, the arrangement view, I think, is just as you know functional as any other DAW currently with Ableton 11. They really, I think, went out of their way to include you know some industry standard features like lanes and stuff like that that um, weren't there in Ableton 10. Um, I, I really don't think that there is a feature that uh, Ableton now lacks, um, you know, in comparison to other DAWs. So in terms of the, uh, the learning curve, it definitely is not as high as it was maybe getting into Ableton 11. Um, just knowing where things are, I think, is even the easiest part about Ableton. Everything is a, a click away, you know, realistically. Um, the, the GUI uh, is very, very... Um, self-explanatory, I think. And once you start to get a feel for where things are, you know, and that's like a quick YouTube video way, in my opinion, um, you can really, really understand the program within a matter of hours, um, especially if you have experience with other DAWs, you know, it's not this, um, it's not like Cubase or Pro Tools, you got to sit there and look for stuff. Um, it's everything is just kind of right there. Um, and as far as plugins go, I mean, I have a plethora of things that I use on a regular basis. No, you know, every project is different. Um, but if I had to, off the top of my head, you know, give some answers, probably it's going to be the Slate stuff, uh, that Plugin Alliance um, Mix and Master Bundle, and uh, the Isotope stuff. Um, so, awesome, yeah. You know, I'm just wondering. You guys are based in Miami, I think. I don't know if you've been there your whole lives or majority of your lives. 
it's got a very vibrant scene and you know i think it's just only grown over the last few years obviously a lot of people from the outside just kind of think of it as like ultra but of course there's so much more um <laughs> you know could you just tell us a little bit about the scene in miami and how that kind of you know influenced you guys getting into this world yeah i mean we were both born and raised in miami um so like our whole life has been here ian's been in the suburbs i've been uh, more in the city so like that's a the only I think difference between us per se um, besides that uh, I was mentioning to you earlier my father was a DJ and he came from France to Miami to open up a nightclub back in uh, 89 or 90 and that's kind of when the nightlife of Miami was like kicking off in the 80s into the 90s and it started to slowly become the mecca of house music as it came along it was America's uh, say America's Ibiza for the time since you had the beach you go to the beach in the daytime and then at night you go into the club until five in the morning or even further like if you go to space you're going to space until 11 in the morning or more depending if you can last um but yeah so you grow up in this whole culture of like dance music and house music and the normality of it so it's more so not to sound cheesy but it's just like a, it's a way of life here and you meet so many people from around the world because Miami is really a, a huge hub, especially to South America and things like that. But there are plenty of Europeans. I'd say those are the two biggest hubs that come here to Miami. So you get such a mix of cultures as well. And the Latin culture, uh, which Ian and I are both half Cuban, so we grew up with it, are, are heavy into partying like having and having a good time. And the, their motto in, in like life is like you work hard in the day and then you party hard at night like to make up for the hard work you did so it's just it all just comes together here on top of like the the I'd say like the gay scene in Miami Beach as well that has always been around and um, you know gay people have always been into the coolest music and the newest things and the newest clubs so it's just all comes together with the Latins who love to party and they're you know they don't care your color creed they just want to have a good time to Europeans coming in and uh, you know the gay people opening the clubs it all just comes in together into one mecca and I think that's really what makes Miami separate from a lot of cities and I think the only closest one was New York pre 9-11 I'd say and I mean obviously with the work you guys are doing you're bringing it back up to like a, a whole new level but you know, there was a, a good era where there was not much happening in the city for, for a few years, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's interesting. I, I actually was just talking with um, Harry Romero, who has lived in New York for, you know, over 20 years. And he touched on that, just kind of those early 2000 years and then leading into the EDM boom and whatever. It's like, it took a dip and the local government put a lot of laws in that made it difficult to even have these events. And, you know, we're seeing it back now in Brooklyn, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's taken time. And I think there's, there's a handful of venues that are doing really, really cool shows, but there's not a ton of venues that are doing it. Um, just wondering, you know, for you guys, do you have a memory of the first time you ever performed, um, whether it was, you know, under this project or, or elsewhere? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of do. I, uh, again, I was using tractor at the time and, uh, man, I think it was, this is like family parties and stuff like a side of course, but I think my first time was at a tailgate, um, for the fraternity that I was in at the time. Um, we'd literally just set up some, you know, rinkety dink ass speakers and 
<laughs> and I, I had my my laptop and the tractor and that was it i i think i dj'd for like six hours straight uh, and it was a mission yeah for for me um on, on the small scale because we all start really small i was a resident dj at the mondrian hotel uh, every sunday when i was in high school i was like 16 years old and i had to burn cds because they were the cdj 1000s <laughs> so every sunday i had a burn cd write on like the notes what were the tracks were on it take a scissor cut it put it in the sleeve and then i learned quickly that if there's two records you want to mix and they're on the same cd you're screwed <laughs> so it, i had to learn i had to learn with that but it got me uh there was no sync button on that. So I had, I had to work my way through and then, yeah, you just, it's been, it's been a slow, steady climb for the last 10 years, but it just gets better and better every month I'd say for us. So. Yeah, absolutely. You guys really started putting music out around 2017 and it, it was interesting. Cause I think, you know, for a lot of guys who are starting, it can take a while to really break through um, or get noticed by, you know, labels that, matter and are run by artists and get that kind of feedback but almost immediately it felt like you were getting pretty positive response uh signing tracks to nervous records and basement leak you know obviously Sheba is in Miami as well but I was just wondering kind of how you connected with those labels and you know what did it feel like for you guys to just kind of have a bit of success right off the bat yeah um funny you say success off the bat that's that's what in our head we thought and then you look back <laughs> years later and you go there was nothing there <laughs> but um no uh we met Sheba in Miami uh right around the time he moved here and I was basically like whenever you're in the studio let me know I just want to sit there and be a fly on the wall and it's what what we did in a sense and just learned and learned and learned and then of course uh we kept showing him records it took us about five six tracks till he found one he liked which was my style and that became the first release uh under black v-neck um and then even since then it took more time and then we sent a, an email to nervous as well and it was exciting because they're a legendary label to have some of our early earliest releases on and it's just steady climb steady climb sending tracks to dirty bird and trust me like a lot of no responses slash uh you know not hearing anything uh plenty of times until you finally get the one that says congratulations so uh, it just it takes time everything you know it's the process yeah absolutely i mean i'm just you know coming off that given you guys are kind of in the mecca of clubs but obviously have now had the opportunity to play a lot of places do you have any preference when it comes to performing between you know the more intimate venue larger club or a festival I, I really don't think that it matters to us as long as the crowd is is feeling it. I mean, we've been to some places where, you know, no matter what you do, you'll, you, I mean, you'll even hear after you play, yeah, the, you know, the crowd loved you, everybody loved you, you killed it, but then nobody was dancing the whole night. <laughs> and you're like, I, I guess, you know, but, and there are places we go to, it, it might be like a 300 cap room um, and maybe even only 150 people in that room for whatever reason. And it's like one of the best vibes because everybody's digging it. And it's just, I mean, I'll take that, you know, any day over a 500,000 cap room and nobody's moving, you know? Um, thankfully, I don't think we've, we, we've actually run into that issue um, in larger rooms, but <laughs> definitely uh, we prefer when, um, you know, when we can get the crowd to, uh, how do you say, kind of like vibe with us and we can get them to interact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so fickle. I, I've seen, you know, at the Brooklyn Mirage, 5,000 people and 
we I, I actually kind of noticed this uh this past weekend we had um the diplo higher ground thing and jay wore a photo <laughs> yeah man she was dope but uh she uh it was interesting because you know he's done an amazing job building that brand out and that shows in that you know we sold out two five thousand people shows in one day there but it's like diplo comes on and it still kind of feels like half the people like have no idea what they're doing there and you know it's like i'm watching him do his thing and he's he's awesome and it's like a big portion of the crowd either doesn't really understand what higher ground is or they're just there because of the name and you know you could see it and i think that the night event probably went a little bit more high energy but it's just you know i think it just goes to show like even the biggest artists in the world can have that experience still um as you mentioned just sending demos over and over uh the mouth music ep dropped in 2019 and um obviously it felt like this kind of put you guys on the map a little more um i was reading one of your interviews where you said you used some, like brazilian trap sand uh sorry, Brazilian trap samples to formulate the vocal lead on the track. Uh, could yep. you just tell us kind of the story in the studio of creating this one? And when you made it, did you know, like, this is a Dirty Bird record or did you send it around? Oh, man, uh, I think I hated the crap out of that record when it was done. And I was like, this is never going to go anywhere. And then it was, it ended up in the freaking bottom of our promo list. And like, I don't know. But yeah, I think Julian can probably tell a better story about uh, the studio studio time yeah i remember um i remember finding those vocals and i thought they were super cool and there was so many of them because i you know you find them in a row in a sense and there were so many variations and things and i thought uh, i just had a concept i was like oh how cool would it be it's like you kick off uh the track with like one vocal and then the next one's the next vocal and the next one's the next vocal and it kind of just keeps like with just different things so every drop is, is a whole different rhythm and vocal going on and so uh, I remember Ian came in and I was like, yo, I have this idea here. I already laid out something. It was not bad. Let me just rework the baseline. I think that this is like off here, boom, 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 fixes the notes. And obviously uh, we put the sound in together at the end. And like, exactly like Ian said, we made it. And we're like, all right, what do we do with this record? Like, <laughs> this isn't a record clear cut for anybody. So um, time goes on and I put it, I was like, all right, well, time to send records to Dirty Bird because I, we have a batch of records and let's see. And that was the fifth record out of five records. So I remember I put it on the bottom. Uh, it might get shuffled by the time I send it, but it was like the last track out of the five tracks I submitted. And that's the one they took. And I was like, okay. like, <laughs> It was awesome. It was our first, uh, it's, well, technically our second Dirty Bird released, but first like official one on the, on the main label. And then uh, they asked for a B-side and very similar story with sex drugs. We sent them three or four more records with sex drugs being the one on the bottom. Like, oh, they're not going to take that because of like the lyrics and stuff. And then they're like, yeah, we'll take this one. So it's, it's always the ones you least expect that I think Bon Stroke is going to take. And that's advice for all the guys who are producing and wants to get on Dirty Bird. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are obviously like, they're such unique tracks and I mean, He's just the like every time they put a song out, I'm just like, oh, that's even funkier than the last one that I heard. You just mentioned kind of the flow between the two of you guys. Is that typical when you're producing a track or, you know, what's the process like when you're getting in the studio together? I mean, it just depends, really. Like sometimes he'll start an idea. Sometimes I will. 
I mean, there have been tracks that he will finish, you know, do start to finish because he's inspired and vice versa, you know. Um, I think, uh, man, I think uh, uh, might have been one of those that I, I just knocked out in a weekend because I heard the vocal sample and did it. And then he's done, you know, uh, a few others. I, I can't remember the names off the top of my head. But um, yeah, it just it, it really just depends on what we're feeling. And when you're performing, you know, I think it's something I just like to ask anybody that's a duo. Do you guys have to do some preparation before and just because, you know, it's like you're going back to back or is it you're so on the same page musically that you don't have to think about it too much? No, we're definitely on the same page, but um, I think really the only bit of preparation is just I stand on the left CDJ and he stands on the right. <laughs> We also, I mean, we, we always get together before the show at, a ho- at, you know, the hotel room and go over, um, like, in a sense, I say the playlist of the night. So, like, a lot of the new records and things. And so, like, that we're on the same page of what we're feeling and what we're not. So, somebody doesn't drop a track that we, that we feel is going to not do well, since we both have different tastes. And that's, you have to accept that, embrace that, and then use that to your advantage to be like, no, this is not good. Or I think this is worth the risk or vice versa. And then we put it together in that sense. But then, you know, once you're once you're there, there's different vibes in the rooms and things. And we'll just tell each other, hey, I think this is the direction that the, the set needs to go in. And then we'll start digging in the USB from there and keep it going. Do you ever find that there's like pressure to especially now kind of coming off a period where I'm sure you're playing a lot of shows, but you also just spent a year probably producing a lot of music because there were no shows. Is there pressure to just like be playing a ton of your own music or, you know, just to kind of get crowd reactions or do you find that you're still able to just go out there and hammer whatever you want? Pressure? No, I don't think so. I think we, we just end up playing our records because they just tend to work in our sets and it's, we make the stuff we like, uh, you know, we make the stuff that we want to, we would want to hear live. So but at the end of the day, they, uh, they just happen to find their way in our sets regardless. And then we will, play records that um you know we think fit the style or the vibe and, or that we really like yeah just really depends there's a certain i i definitely think um and i think our fans can can testify this for us there's a certain vibe that we look for in our set um and it's like this i don't i don't even know how to explain it is the funny thing and i know what i'm looking for but i have no clue how to explain it but it's like uh a fast moving pace with a baseline that that's grooving and it sounds terrible the way I explained it, but it's like, you know what you're looking for in the black Phoenix set. And it, there's tracks that we like, but sometimes they just don't have the, the groove that we're looking for that we want to, you know, give to people that blend in not only with, our, you know, I guess like with our records as well. So to keep the momentum going, since we're trying to tell a story uh, in our set, they just need to drive. Like they need yeah. to have this drive this sense of moving forward of excitement you know uh the tracks really can't get stale um but uh yeah i mean like i said if they if they match the energy that uh, you know the tracks that our own tracks that we're playing then you normally it's, it's already going to be a pretty good fit especially if we like the record of course i think the worst part is there's a lot of music we like and we're we usually do up to two two and a half hour sets just because 
it's the time that the promoters have allotted us and then the club closes or they're like, oh, that's it. Or there's a, a person after us. So I'm not going to be like, hey, man, please don't play. I want to keep going. <laughs> so there's a lot of records, unfortunately, that we really love and that we would love to just play out and give a longer set and a bigger story. But we just don't get that opportunity sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I think it's tough. I mean, especially when you're thinking about the festival sets where it's like you have 60 minutes and it's a firm 60 minutes and like, yeah you know you, you gotta really play that last record you're like this record has to be in the set and <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i wanted to ask about ernesto who is somebody you guys have collaborated with a lot and i think is just making really cool music um what's the relationship like and how'd you guys meet uh, so Ernesto, he was doing a party at Coyo Taco. For those of you who don't know, in Miami, Coyo Taco is a taco restaurant in the front. And in the back, there's a little dark black room, but with some mega speakers in there. And Oscar G plays there every Monday. And Ernesto had a party. I think it was like, I think it was Thursday nights, like once a month. And he would bring in like Tim Baresco, Clyde P. Uh, I think maybe one of the Emmy Nedge and Dance guys, Sharon J. So like these type of G house artists, especially because this was 2017 to a little bit more G house. And so I, we were going to the parties and then we made friends with him like that and started sharing our music. And he was actually the first person to ever book us to ever do a Black Phoenix show, period. And that was at Coyo Taco. And I remember the first time we did it, there was because we, we just started the project. There was maybe 15 people in the whole room. Shiba Sen being one of them, at least, who came out to support. Um, and then the second time we did it, we had a full room, which was cool. But yeah, Ernesto is the guy who gave us our first ever Black, the first ever Black Phoenix show, courtesy of Ernesto. Wow. Well, I'll just say, if anybody, when you're listening to this and you're in Miami, go to Coyo Taco, because that place is fucking awesome. I, anytime I'm in Miami, like it's, it's like, you have to go by just for the vibes. Uh, you know, it seems like in this year, uh, you guys have had the opportunity to release some music that's, you know, a little different, um, than maybe what we would normally associate with your sound. Uh, I think whether it was like some love restless, the recent remix with Afrojack, um, do you feel like this is kind of an intentional direction shift or has it just been some interesting opportunities that have come up? It's both for sure. Um, I, I think that the the older we get and the more, you know, mature, I guess our brand becomes, um, the more we realize that like, we just want to make what we want to make. And if we like it, um, we're going to do it. And I don't really think that we should be, you know, limited to, you know, any one type of sound. We're going to keep making what we like. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, we're not going to make the club bangers. Like we just want to diversify ourselves and, and uh, be as eclectic as we possibly can while still kind of fitting into our, you know, into our brand. Um, so I definitely would say that, you know, you can expect more of this type of stuff from us, but also don't think that, you know, it's because we're, we don't want to do the other stuff anymore. But I, you know, I personally love the shit out of club bangers. <laughs> I live for that, <laughs> but it's nice to, uh, to change the pace every once in a while. Yeah. We, um, I think the best way to put it, because even my booker asked me the same question. He said, a promoter was asking me, are you guys going this way or that way? I was like, listen, we make house music, period. Yeah. If it's underground, if you think it's underground, it's underground. If we're on underground labels, cool. If we make something commercial, it's commercial, cool. Whatever you want to think, it's house music at the end of the day. We don't do techno. We don't do dubstep. You know, we don't do like all the other, you know, things. At the end of the day, we do house music and that's it. 
I think that's a good way to say it. I mean, it's interesting because even, you know, like listening to the remix with Afrojack, like it obviously has a different feel to it, but it's certainly still a house track. And I just, I have to follow up on that. I mean, how, how did that one come up and what was that like kind of working with somebody like that? He's, he's, he's the man, the, the legend. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was crazy. Um, I think there were, there were a lot of versions, a lot of revisions, of course, because, you know, when you're working with somebody like him, he's, he's, you know, put out a certain level and standard of music for so long. You, you got to make sure to achieve it. And we learned a lot. I learned a lot, um, especially on the engineering side, um, you know, uh, but I think that, um, uh, sorry, the, the other part of the question was how did it come about? Right. Uh, he yeah. basically just, uh, asked us, I mean, we have, we have a working relationship with him. Um, uh, and he kind of helps us out, you know, here and there, not to get too specific or anything, but he, he kind of approached us with the opportunity and uh, couldn't say no to that. So, yeah, he reached out to us. I think it was January 2020 uh, through a DM on Instagram. And it was, hey, I, I'm a big fan of your music. And for us, we're a big fan of his music being from Miami. <laughs> and his sound was huge in the Dutch house scene. Um, and so. Yeah, that was it was because of mouth music is what got us got him in onto us. And then we just kept talking and since then built a working relationship and uh, learned definitely learned a lot of things uh, because of him. And like like Ian said, he reached out to us for this. And uh, just to give you like the exclusive, we also have a, a an original collab with him that's going to come out very, very soon. So we're excited for that as well. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you said it because that just totally prompts my next question. Uh, First of all, that's great. He's an absolute legend, so we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, you know, you're coming off two pretty huge tracks right now, that remix and C2 Sabe, which I think you guys posted, but I mean, like Snake and Mala have been playing that everywhere. Mm -hmm. I definitely heard it at Electric Zoo a couple different times over the weekend. Um, it seems like you guys are getting booked for a lot of festivals, you know, big things to come, hopefully. What's in store for you guys for the rest of the year musically? And uh, is there kind of anything that you're setting as a goal, you know, for the next couple of years? Uh, shoot, uh, to continue to be able to live off of music. I think uh, if I can continue to do that, I'll be a happy camper. Um, man, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Keep making music, keep releasing music, keep building our, our studio. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's at least for me, that's my goal. Yeah, I mean, I think for Black Beanac as a whole, I think we want, uh, I think a big thing at the end of the day, if we boiled everything down, it's we, we want more fans. Um, the only way to do it is by making better music, you know, every every time. So we're just trying to get better and things that are going to catch people onto us more and just build a, a big fan base. And that's it, because once, you know, once you have a solid fan base, you can do anything you want. Absolutely. Well, Listen, that's all I got, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you guys for coming on. Big fan, you know, been following you for a while, and uh, we're definitely going to work on getting you guys up to New York sometime soon, and uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye out for that Afrojack collab. I'm sure it's going to be huge. Thank awesome. you for having us. Yeah, yeah awesome. thank you so much. You guys have a good one. You too. Take care, brother. Have a great one. See you.